communication keys. And uh, the reason I'm going to do this is because uh, it, it's been intriguing to me in a couple of the mission trips that we've been asked to go on and uh, I've gone with them. Uh, they've asked me to preach on communication, particularly in the home which is actually, if you talk to Alice, not necessarily one of my areas of expertise. Uh, but it's interesting, as you go to various homes or, or uh, various places in this world, you'll find out that what we struggle with is what everybody struggles with. You know, family is the place where Satan attacks probably more than any other place. And all he has to do to trip up the kids is to trip up the parents. And if you don't have good communication between uh, husband and wife, then uh, things are going to go awry really, really fast. So it was interesting, in the midst of all the things they could have asked me to speak on, both um, Honduras and the Philippines asked me to speak on communication, particularly between husband and wife. Well, we're going to kind of expand that, and we're going to be talking about communication just for everyone. But as you know, communication you have to work on, and uh, we're particularly working on that at our home, and most recently we've been working on, on this. Very simple, but I've been trying to teach Alice, and I'm Tarzan, and she's Jane. And um, so far that hasn't quite worked out that well. I keep calling her Jane, but she, doesn't, she refuses to call me Tarzan. But, but whatever ways you try to communicate, um, you know, affection or fire in the relationship, you know, it, it takes work, and it takes two people to work on it as well. Uh, but also, you know, as we were sharing last week, for those of you who were here, we, we kind of gave you a, a, a word's-eye view as well, as well as a visual on some of the things that happened in Honduras. Uh, but as you go to different places, you know, you need to prepare. And we worked hard a little bit on um, memorizing at least one verse in Spanish and worked on our testimonies and just being prepared to uh, work on our water purification project. But, but one of the ones who came worked a little bit harder on the possible things that, that might we might encounter when we got there, particularly we'd heard about mosquitoes and bugs. And I just want to give you a picture of Kay Ferraro as she prepared to... Uh, um, now, here, here's a young lady uh, who, who, you know, that's, that's wearing belts and suspenders. Uh, she made sure they, she was totally covered. So when the men graciously said, well, we'll switch, our particular place of abode did not have a lot of bugs, and they did. And we said, we'll switch, and Kay really didn't have much to say. She said, I'm doing fine. But... You know, as you think about that, there's all kinds of ways to prepare for what's going to come next. And what I want to do this, this morning is prepare you for the rest of your life. Because as you realize, communication is the key to every relationship you have. And that's true in your relationship with God, and it's true in your relationship with people around you. And if, if you mess up with the words out of your mouth, but not just the words out of your mouth, but your actions, things are going to be... Uh, destructive in your engaging in the lives of other people. Uh, I, I mentioned, we mentioned last week that we, we, we really grew to love uh, not only the people in Rio Seco that we were trying to reach out to, but the Honduras team that we met that were kind of uh, our mouthpiece as we shared the gospel and the messages of Christ and Vacation Bible School and our testimonies. Um, but they have heartache as well. And I had the opportunity, and showed a little bit on the, the videos, I was trying to learn Spanish songs and Spanish verses and everything else. Uh, there was a, a man named Zuri there. And it's short for Zuri Shaddai, which is found in the book of Numbers. And it really has the, the root meaning of that is Almighty Rock. And he was really a rock for us as well as the rest of the Honduras team. They just loved on us, and whatever we asked for them or from them, they were eager to, just to help uh, but as I began to get to know him, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is really what happened to him because the communication keys to life that are found in God's Word uh, broke down in his, his marriage. 
And his, uh, his wife had been, actually been trained in ministry. She'd gone to Bible school, and they'd had, as he described it, 16 years of great marriage relationships. But then on the 17th year, he said, all hell broke out. Now, because of the language barrier, I didn't have really the opportunity to kind of dissect what happened. But after I had preached on communication, he says, you know, those are so, so important. So, so I just want to challenge us all, and, I, and let me, I, I, am, I wasn't just trying to be somewhat humorous and say I'm not an expert on communication because an expert is one who actually does it, not knows about it. This is a lifelong challenge for all of us to work on how we speak with each other and how we act around each other so that we communicate what we want to communicate, that, that God loves them and so do we, and we want to have the best kind of relationship with people. So uh, as we just prepare our hearts and minds for that, let's, let's ask the Lord one more time to take our, our minds and our hearts and, and have it just be centered on what he wants to say to us today. Let's pray together. Father, well, I do pray that as we talk about communication keys, that uh, we don't look at this as simplistic. It's only just kind of scratching the surface. It's a lifelong journey to, to speak well of each other and with each other and for each other. Uh, but Father, um, you know how important it is. Because even as you have said in your word, that, that what comes out of our mouth springs from our heart. And we would just really pray that our hearts might desire uh, to demonstrate um, your heart to other people. And that we might just learn the, some of the simple truths about how we can uh, grow in this area. And we ask that we might do it for your glory and your honor. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to look at the verses out of uh, your own text, you can turn to the, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians is really a book in which it's all about the family, the family of God. It's about a focus on the church. And the church ought to be a microcosm of what happens in your own family. It's, it's all about relationships. If we, if we break down our relationships here at church, then uh, what do we have? We just have a group of people meeting, maybe singing a few songs, reading out of a book. But if we don't really extend ourselves to have healthy relationships with each other, then we really don't act as the family of God or the body of Christ or the flock of God's people, the, the people that follow after him. And, and so Paul, in the midst of uh, sharing so many great truths to the church at Ephesus, when he gets to the last three chapters, he, he starts kind of meddling with them and says, okay, you've heard about what God has done. Now I want to talk to you about what you need to do. And he's, he's speaking it from a church context, but he, he really just speaks about how you ought to relate with each other, how you need to see each, each part of you as valuable and important. And, and that's true on a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It's true in the family, whether you have children or don't have children. If it's, it, it's true in your workplace. It's true in any, any kind, your neighbors, whatever it might be, is, is how can I just display how God wants us to relate to one another? And so what I want to do this morning is just pick four keys out of, uh, out of some passages. And they're basically, uh, I've kind of summarized them two different ways. Some always, two always, and two nevers. Some things you always ought to do and some things you ought to never do. Now, if you've ever been in speech class or talk about communication, they say you should never use always and always remember not to use never. But in this particular case, uh, these are used in the right way. The, these are always true and these are never things you ought to do. And me included. So uh, how should we talk with each other? And I want to just start off very plainly. First of all, we ought to always speak truthfully in love. And you're going to see how these texts are just right out of the text. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. 
And it's great that, that this very first point puts Christ in it because I want you to know that none of us can do this through our own strength. Some of us are a little bit more con- uh, um, skillful in the use of the words that come out of our mouth, but this is really a heart issue. And so as he speaks to the, the body of Christ or the family of Christ, and he speaks to us as families, whether we are just a, uh, living um, our lives uh, not in a nuclear family, but we all have relationships. He wants them to understand this is, this is only done in Christ. And he is the head. He's the one ruling in our life. That's what it means that he's the head. But he speaks very plainly. He says, but speaking the truth in love. This word speaking in truth, it's three words there, but it really uh, is one word in the Greek. It's aletheo, which is the Greek word for aletheia, which is simply truth. In fact, some translators say is, is we ought to be as, as people be committed to truthing it. Whatever we do in communication, and this word can be not only words, but can also be actions or how you deal with people, we're, we're, a, we're a truthing kind of people. When people wonder what we're doing, we're, we're not wearing some kind of mask, we're not hiding something, we're not uh, refraining from disclosing important information. We're all about truth. But as we think about all about truth, we need to realize we're also, it's all about understanding it needs to be not only what we communicate, but how we communicate. It matters what you say, but it also matters how you say it. Now, if we divide the, you know, the room in half in terms of if we were to polarize how we, how we are made up, some of us are more truth people, you know, we, we, just, we just let it fly, you know, whatever's out of our mouth or mind, and we just, we just tell it like it is. And then some of us are, are so careful, so sensitive, we're very gracious, and it's all about love. And he's really not saying that you should do one or the other. He says you've got to do both. You've got to speak the truth, but you've got to do it in a loving, caring way. Sometimes we use the word tack. I came across this story that kind of, uh, I kind of could relate to it in some ways, but uh, Tact is one of the most lost arts, and we're going to use the word tact for saying something lovingly, carefully, uh, of the 20th century. I heard about a man who lacked tact. He was the type of person who just couldn't say it graciously. He and his wife owned a poodle. Uh, they loved this dog. It was the object of their affection. The wife was to take a trip abroad, and the first day away, she made it to New York. She called home and asked her husband, how are things? And he said, well, the dog's dead. She was devastated. After collecting her thoughts, she asked, why do you do that? Why can't you be more tactful, loving, caring, sensitive? He said, well, what did you want me to say? The dog died. Well, she said, well, you can give it to me in stages. For example, you could say, when I call you from New York, you could say, well, the dog's on the roof. And then when I travel to London the next day and call, you could tell me, Honey, the, the dog fell off the roof. And when I can't call you from Paris, you could say, Well, honey, the dog had to be taken to the vet. In fact, he's in the hospital, not doing well. And finally, when I call you from Rome, Honey, brace yourself. Our dog died. I could handle that. Husband paused and said, Oh, oh, oh I see. And then she asked, By the way, how's mother? And he said, she's on the roof. <laughs> All right. You know, communication has to be worked on, doesn't it? And we need to realize that, 
that we, we really do need to speak the truth in love. And the Bible says this, the tongue of the wise, this is Proverbs 15 too, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fool speaks folly. So it, it's, it's never compromising on the truth, but you, you need to wrap it around some grace and some tact and, and some love and how can I make what needs to be said heard in the best possible way? Now, there are going to be times when you're going to have to say things no matter how you say it, you're going to get a reaction. But make sure the reaction is to the issue, not how you talked about the issue. And for us who are more on the truth kind of side, man, I, man I'm, I, I'll just like immediately, you know, I, I don't think about necessarily how am I going to say it. And that just is a wrong person who never says what needs to be said because they're, they're feeling that's a loving thing to do. It, it's never loving to not say the truth. And just saying the truth without love doesn't make it right. And so Paul, as he, as he just speaks to the church, and he just talked to them about that they are the body of the Christ, and they, each part is important, and they're supposed to grow up into all aspects of, of, of who Jesus is. He says, but speaking the truth in love. Let's be a people who are truthing it, but always surrounding it with graciousness and tact in ways that we can make knowledge acceptable. And the issue is the issue, not how we said what we said. So communication key number one, always speak truthfully in love. Would we say that's an appropriate use of the word always? Can you think of any time where you, can, you should not completely and always speak the truth in love? But he moves on, and there's so much in this text. And, and in uh, Proverbs 4.29, which, which uh, uh, is interesting, right after Proverbs 4.29 comes Proverbs, I mean, Ephesians 4.29 comes Ephesians 4 what? I want to make sure about what I'm about to say is true. Um, is in, in, in Ephesians 4.30, right after he's going to give uh, a principle in, in verse 29, he says, oh, by the way, I want you to understand, you're going to have to do this in the Holy Spirit. Just like I said in the beginning, this is, this is a Christ thing. We can all, whether we're a Christian or not, can work on our communication skills. But for us to actually live it out, it's going to have to come from Christ living in us. And then we need to be dependent upon the Spirit. He says in Ephesians 4, 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know how you can make God sad? Just not be concerned about the words that come out of your mouth. It's not this gigantic, ginormous sin that we, we hear about, uh, you know, in the newspapers or radio, TV, and th those are horrific things that are happening in our own nation. You know, people, you know, just, you know, so many killings that are now just so surfacing. Uh, Chicago just recently. Uh, but you can make God sad by not working on how you speak with others. What, what's uh, principle number two? Always speak with words that seek to build up and not tear down. Uh, verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And so Paul you know, says so many things in this uh, particular uh, passage, verse 29, uh, but you can just glean it very simply. You want to summarize this way. What comes out of your mouth is going to build up or it's going to tear down. It's going to help somebody or it's going to hurt somebody. And so he said, you just need to be so mindful of that. And he, and he again makes these broad statements. He says, it's, all, it's okay if you have a few unwholesome words come out of your mouth. 
Is that what he says there? He says, let no unwholesome word come out of your, word, out of your mouth. What is, the, what is the word here? It's the word sapros in the Greek. What, what, is, what is the word for unwholesome mean? Well, it's used in a variety of places. It can, it can be used for corrupt or, or foul, rotten fruit or vegetables, uh, other kind of spoiled food. And that was one of the things that amazed us in terms of going to Rio Seco. We didn't see a whole lot of refrigeration. In fact, we didn't see any refrigeration. And we're wondering, well, how, how, do, they, how do they eat meal after meal after meal? I, I guess in that particular part, most of their food better be fresh because there's no way to preserve it. And what he's saying here is, is, is words that come out of your mouth that have been spoiled and corrupted. It's just like eating rotten fruit or rotten vegetables. And that's what people hear. And you can describe it this way. It's off-color jokes. It's profanity. It's dirty stories. It's, it's anything that just it comes out and it just hurts people. It can be the four-letter words or it can be just the hurtful words that bring people down. Uh, you know, I was, I was just thinking about this whole point, let no one wholesome word proceed out of your mouth. And it reminded me of the passage, I think it's in Matthew 12, 34, where, where Jesus is saying, you know, you're surprised about what comes out of your mouth. Well, what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. I remember in, in the olden days, I think it was uh, at the turn of the, uh, well, it was way back when, when I was a youth pastor. And, and I remember my first ministry, full-time ministry, and, and there, was a, there was a student in my, in my youth group who, had so many abilities, and, and in, in so many ways, it, it, he, he had a passion for, for, for ministry, too. His name was Tom, and, and uh, I mean, after one or two years in the ministry, he said he, he wanted to take an entire summer and be on a mission field, which, which he did. But it, it, and I remember he did that on the mission field, and before he left, he was involved in all kinds of things. We, we had good news clubs, and we we, we did a, a number of different types of outreaches and went down to Mexico and did mission there as well. And he participated in that locally, and then he wanted to do it in another place. And, and yet there was always something about Tom that, that just concerned me. Be, because in the midst of all the good things Tom could do, there, was just the, there were words out of his mouth that just, it just didn't smell right. He had a preoccupation with just talking about sexual things in, in the most kind of perverted type ways. And we would talk to him, and, you know, he'd kind of laugh it off, and then he'd kind of give a little bit of a nod, but it, he never took it seriously. He, he came back from his mission trip and kind of gave a glowing report, and it wasn't about a month later where he was just bankrupt spiritually. And see, the issue here is, is not that any of us have an area in our lives that we struggle with. If a person have a, has, has a problem with profanity, that doesn't shock me unless that person doesn't want to work on his profanity. You know, if a person has a tendency, you know, maybe because of his background, he, 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 it's very easy to drift back into off-color jokes, that, that won't shock me unless that person doesn't want to work on it. Or even, you know, if a person is, you know, has a tendency to say things that are more cutting than they need to be, and they're confronted upon it, 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 it doesn't bother me unless they don't want to work on it. And, and see, that's what, I, that's what bothered me about Tom. Not that he had some areas that he struggled. We all struggle with areas. But, but he didn't think this, this verse applied to him. Let no unwholesome word. Because he thought about all the good words he said. 
which was great. But, but he, need to deal, he needed to deal with this because this grieved the Holy Spirit. And he couldn't walk in darkness and light both at the same time. And he had to choose. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, and it says, There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but, but rather giving your thanks. And, and, you know, anybody who's been around me for any length of time in different contexts, you know, I like to jest. I like to joke. I like to kind of just push people's buttons here and there. And yeah, it's a dangerous way. To, I mean, that's just my sense of humor. It's a kind of a, kind of a dangerous type sense of humor. But, but I have to be very careful if, if, if my jesting becomes coarse. And coarse probably not because of profanity. I, I think I've passed that in my life now. But if it's, if it's hurting people, then i got to stop. It doesn't matter how much I enjoy it. If it hurts people or hurts certain individuals, then that's an unwholesome word. So, so we just need to simply look at ourselves and say, okay, are my words helping people or hurting people? If it's a way to engage in people and they have fun with it, then that, that, that's great. But if it's not, then just take a step back. You know, the Bible says so many things about this in so many different ways. You know, he said, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. That's the negative part. Uh, but he says, but such a word is good for edification, building up according to the need of the moment. It will give grace to those who hear. You know, listen to some of these verses out of, out of Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 11, like apples of gold in settings of silver. And I think gold's kind of come up pretty recently. I think it's pretty high right now. But anyway, I don't have it, but I think it's, it's gone up. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. You know, you just, just one word at the right time, it's just so valuable. Proverbs 15, 23, a, a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is a timely word. You know, words do two things, don't they? You know, we can remember the things that people have said to us that have hurt us so deeply, but hopefully you can also remember the things that people have said to you that have helped you so immensely. They've just lifted your spirit. They, they've encouraged you. They've allowed you to see yourself in a way much greater than you would have seen yourself because you had a picture of yourself that maybe was smaller than other people saw you, but someone said an encouraging word to you. And that brings joy to the person who communicates that word, but it's even more delightful to the person who hears it. But it, but it is a challenge. You know, David, you know, said in Psalms, he said, Psalm 141, verse 3, he said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, Keep watch over the door of my lips. So God, I, help me to grow in how I speak with others. And, and let's be honest, no one ever arrives. Now this is before Peter experienced the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but Peter did pretty well when he was walking with Jesus. I mean, he was, the, of the twelve, he had to, say, he had to be at least in the top three. And, and he had been given the privilege of saying some things that just... Uh, Jesus himself said that that didn't come from you, that came from God, so God was speaking through him. And he had boldness and courage, and, and he said when, when Jesus said that he was going to be in prison and he was going to go to the cross, <laughs> I'll stand with you. And, and Jesus said, you're going to be sifted by Satan, and, and said, I'll never deny you. And he said, you'll deny me three times. 
And, and so, so Jesus knew that the mouth is such an instrument of good or harm or bad, that which is bad. And Peter fell, primarily because he thought he wouldn't fall. And that's why we need to pray, God, put a guard over my mouth. Not to say nothing. That's never emphasized in Scripture. I mean, we need to be careful what we say, but God wants us to say certain things, but appropriately, at the right moment, to bring grace to those who are here. So what are the keys to communication? One is uh, speak truthfully, always in love. And then secondly, always speak in ways that you're seeking to build up and not tear down. Well, let's look at a couple nevers this morning. Never speak out of bitterness. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And this four, uh, Ephesians 4, 31 comes right out. Ephesians right, comes right after Ephesians 4, what? 30. I want to make sure some of you are still listening. And he says, again, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by having an unwholesome word come out of your mouth or not saying things that bring grace to people. So we don't want to just work on not hurting people. We want to work on helping people. But then he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So Paul is just, he's just speaking pretty graphically to people in the church. Let's talk about, we're talking about people in the church. Sometimes people think that, that Christians think that they're, they're more holier than thou. They think they're, they're, we're much better than anybody else. Paul had his strongest words, not to people outside the church, but people inside the church. So we should never be surprised that, that Christians struggle. And struggling is not the problem. It's not struggling if you're a Christian, trying to be what God wants you to be. And so then he speaks to him and says, okay, let all bitterness and wrath and all the rest uh, be put away from you, which implies pretty strongly that that's what was there, right? He wouldn't tell them not to stop doing something if they weren't already doing it. And he says, so, so really the idea is never speak out of bitterness. Now, now what really is bitterness? Bitterness is it's a word that describes something that's smoldering. It's, it's that which you're resentful about. It's, it's a brooding grudge you know, filled with a, you know, an attitude that just you can't let it go. Now, there are a couple things where bitterness comes from. Sometimes bitterness can come from you're, you're just... Uh, you know, so angry about things on, as you look at yourself. But more often, bitterness comes from something somebody else has done to you or someone you care about, right? Wouldn't we probably say, the thing you just can't let go of, if, if someone else has hurt you or someone has hurt someone else that you care about and you just can't let it go. And, and when you allow that to, to just, just simmer for lengths of time, you know, it, it just, it begins to consume at you. It begins to eat you. It becomes that which describes you and defines you. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about among the, the, the man and the wife is, you know, don't, don't go to bed angry. You know, solve it before you go to sleep. Don't, don't let it even last one night. Why? Because anything you don't resolve, you know, when you wake up, it's still there. Resolve it. It, it, it just deal with it. If, if the other person doesn't agree with it, just give it to God and say, God, you're going to deal with them. About it. I'm, I'm going to stop dealing with them about it. I'm going to let it go. Because when, when a person has bitterness in heart, it just splatters over everybody. 
And it's, it's, an, it's a pretty important thought in God's program. I was looking up a, a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, um, verses 14 and 15. It says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness with which no one will be, see the Lord. And uh, you're going to get the verse I really want to look at. But basically it says all of us need to pursue that which is holy to God, that which is pure in his eye, that which is important to him. And if that's not the pursuit of our life, then we're never going to see God. You know, it's not simply get a ticket to heaven. That's, that's going to be the desire of our heart. We want, to, we want to be and to do what God wants us to do and be. And then he says this. This relates to bitterness. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. This is something that should never happen to anybody. Would you agree? We don't want anybody to come right to the grace of God but not quite get there. He says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. You know, bitterness and walk with God does not mix. Holding on to something and not letting it go will never bring you peace and an intimate relationship with God. When something is wrong in your life towards somebody else, make it right. And we're going to talk about what the most fundamental thing to do to make it right in the next point, but just let it go. Put it away. Throw it out of your life. In your outline, I also put just a couple other things. You know, never speak out of bitterness, but don't speak out of anger or malice. It's interesting, there's two words here. It's interesting how sometimes God will emphasize the same thing by using two slightly different words. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Wrath and anger. Um, th- those two words mean slightly different things. Uh, one is, and it kind of relates to bitterness, it's that, 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 that anger that just... Often it arrives out of bitterness that just continues. It's just ongoing. Now, that's not my problem. I I don't have a problem with an ongoing anger issue. But but I can be a little bit more on the other emphasis of the word, which is the flaring. You know, it's the person who explodes and then everything, you know, simmers down pretty quick. They say, well, yeah, it only happened for a moment. Yeah, but there was devastation, you know, that came when you flared. He said, don't be a person that has a quick temper. Don't have a long temper or a quick temper. Make that the pursuit of your life, that you just aren't an angry person. That you say, God, I want you to get that out of my life. I don't want the long, simmering wrath, and I don't want the quick anger. It just destroys relationships. It's amazing what has what things people have said in, in, the, in the fit of anger. And, and God says, never do that. Just don't do it. it. That's the point where you pray, God, guard my heart. Just don't let me say anything when I am angry. And then the word malice, it simply has the idea, or any evil thing, any evil thing that will contribute to how you communicate with one another. Just let it go. So I guess if we take a step back here, we say on this point, you know, never speak out of bitterness. You know, what, what are some things right now that are kind of just preoccupying your mind? You just, it's just, it's just there, and it hasn't been dealt with. And, and what are you saying here? Not only does it eat you up on the inside, it, it can come out on the outside and eat other people up as well. Don't speak, don't communicate, don't live out your life when you have unresolved issues in your life. Now, it's an ongoing thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, you know, one prayer and it's over, but it begins there, doesn't it? It begins with saying, God, I, I want to deal with this. 
and I want to keep on dealing with it. And I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to keep on dealing with the things you want me to deal with. But finally this morning, Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And again, this is right out of the, out of the passage. Never speak forgetting how much Christ has forgiven you. It really comes from there, doesn't it? The reason we ought to be different is because all the wrongs in our life has been forgiven by God. So then all the wrong that's in somebody else's life, why should we impose our self-righteous standard on them when we forget how much we are simply a person forgiven by God? And he said, you're going to see that illustrated because you'll be a kind person. You'll be tender-hearted. There, uh, there have been people in my small group and also, and just, they've heard me <laughs> make this statement often, you know, uh, you know I, I'm just working on being more kind and gentle, kinder and gentler. And I think one of the youth one time came out to me, I think it, uh, her name will remain uh, anonymous, so I think it was Leah Myersky, and she, 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 she said, <laughs> she said uh, she says, well, just how long have you been praying that, be kinder and gentler? And I said, for decades, you know, decades, I want to be kinder and gentler. And that's God's, that's God's desire for us, that we, we ought to be kinder and gentler. And again, gentler is not a weak word. Gentle is power under control. It doesn't mean we don't speak things that need to be said when we know it's not going to necessarily always be received rightly, but, but we do it out of kindness. There's amazing verses in the Bible related to kindness. In, in Romans 2, 4, it says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, that almost sounds like an oxymoron or counterintuitive. I, I thought it was the hammering of God. You know, you are a sinner. And God does do that. But he does that out of kindness. He says, look, at, I, you're breaking my heart. Your sin drove me to send my son to die for you. And so whenever you think about God pointing out our sin, it's, it's, for, it, it's out of his love. It's out of his kindness because he doesn't want us to, to leave us in our sin. And that's true not only of the guilt of our sin, but the power of our sin. So it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's the kindness of, of, of God in our life that drives us to look at people differently. We, we were watching on the last couple of Wednesdays the, the Jesus film, which is a, an instrument God has used probably to, to at least expose people to the gospel more than any other instrument at least human instrument that we can imagine, because particularly people who can't um, um, receive a Bible in their own language, they get to see it portrayed on the screen. And, and one, of the, one of the accounts of the life of Jesus is when he's in the home of Simon. And he has all the, the, the social elite in his home. And, and Jesus is ministering to them. He ministers to everybody. But all of a sudden, this, this prostitute comes in and begins to, to weep and to cry and anoint the feet of Jesus. And, and of course, they're shocked by this because I thought he was a prophet. And a prophet's supposed to know and understand things. Doesn't the prophet Jesus know who this person is? I mean, he's allowing her to touch him. You know, on Wednesday, it's like, remember in grade school? What, you think she's got cooties? You know, if he touches you, you're going to have cooties too? She touched you. Well, you know, Jesus knows what's in the heart. And so he says, let me ask you a question. If, if someone has been owed 
uh, had a debt, and, and two people owed a debt. One was forgiven of a, a huge debt, and one was forgiven of a little debt. Who, who would probably be more grateful about that? He said, well, probably the one with the bigger debt. He said, you've answered correctly. And I said, I just want you to understand, this one who has sinned much, loves much. And he who has forgiven little, loves little. And so when we, when we kind of wrestle with our own life before God, we realize when I treat people in a horrific way that hurt them rather than help them, when I somehow look at myself as superior to somebody else, I forget how much God has forgiven me. And if I'm going to be kinder and gentler, it's because I realize how kind and gentle God has been with me. So what's the point this morning? God wants us to be people who are passionate about about communicating well. It's not just words, it's body language, it's tone of voice, it's expressions, it's it's even time spent with people. It's, It's everything about what we are presenting to others. And God says, this is what life's all about. It's all about relationships. It, it begins vertically with me. It's all about being in Christ, dependent upon the Spirit. And, and then it's saying, I want to I d- display to people what God has done for me. There's some things we ought to always do and some things we should never do. We should always speak truthfully in love. We, we should always speak seeking words that, that build up, not tear down, help and not hurt. We should never speak out of things that have not been resolved in our life, out of bitterness, out of anger, wrath, because that just, it's just going to spew out on people. We should always remember what God has done for us. We should never speak forgetting how much we have been forgiven. When we were in Honduras and we, we were given our place of abode for the week, uh, they only had one key for the room, and we were, uh, we were told very, very strongly, do not lose this key. And uh, there was a few words I, I learned, and the, the key, interesting enough, it's called Yahweh. I almost thought it was Yahweh, but it was Yahweh. You know, this is the key. Do not lose the key. If you lose the key, you might be sleeping outside where there were all the bugs, right? And so we were, we were very careful not to lose the key. And what God is pleading with us, okay, don't lose the keys. Because this opens up how you are to relate with one another so that people can see Jesus in you. Let's pray. Father, this is... uh, This is easier to preach than to live. But Father, as we sang early enough, your grace is enough. Your your favor for those who run to you rather than run from you enables us not only to know you, but to live for you and more like you. Maybe there's someone here this morning that has never tasted of the goodness of God, the grace of God. If that be true, Father, I just really pray today that they just might admit their need, turn from 
the sin they know is in their life and turn to you. Might they believe, believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sin and, and rose again on their behalf. And then today, in the quietness of their heart, might they make a commitment, a commitment to, to follow you and believe in you as their Lord and God and Savior. And that is done very simply by just, by just talking with you, which is prayer, and saying, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person on the inside. I believe in you. And when that happens, then you do the miracle of, of beginning a relationship with a person. And then, Father, I just really pray for the, all of us that we might be people who are desiring to be kinder and gentler, speaking the truth, but doing it in love, being the communicators that, that hold on to the keys that are found in your word to be more like you. And we ask this in Christ's name.